1: We are on a time crunch.
0: <laughs> the battery may or may not die during this intro. And the that's... sequel of technical difficulties oh, of Amanda oh, and Vicky. Sorry, you guys. Maybe in 2020 we will have better in equipment. Decade, Any I of think... you guys have good like tips or recording equipment or anything like that? Please send us. This has been to your good hour. to
1: us. This recording. We may need.
0: It's been good. The mics have been giving us some new issues, year, new you.
1: Listen, you guys. <laughs> Winter break, we're well into it. The holidays are here. Holidays are here. We have a special treat on this. This is Christmas Christmas Eve, Eve. so Merry
0: Christmas Eve or Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah Hanukkah started started. Mm a couple days ago, so you guys are probably all into the swing. And so you may, if you are avid listeners of us or the Lucky Few podcast, you may have already heard this. We have a treat for you. We were granted permission to be able to replay our conversation on the Lucky Few. Pod, which they was like
1: us. it
0: was amazing. We were fangirling, mm-hmm. it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And we hope you guys can take a moment this holiday week to listen in.
1: Yeah, we hope that you enjoy it and you guys have a great
2: holiday. And we will talk to you soon. Enjoy! So, I feel though, I'm super excited to bring these guests on because for me, especially with IEPs, we're going to have an addendum very soon just to set the team up because no one knows what they're doing. And I'm like requesting things and feeling like a nudge because I am and trying to get everything in place that my kids need to be successful and that the team needs. So my kids can be, so everyone involved can be successful. Mm -hmm. It is a lot and it always feels like it's all on me Mm. and Josh. I have a good support, a good spouse supporting, but like when the teachers say I need whatever, or this is an issue that's happening. I always want to be like, well then how am I the only one here that's supposed to fix this? Like we have an entire Mm -hmm. team of people, somebody do something about this. I don't have all the answers. So this is, I'm excited. And there's like, we all, I think one of the questions we get the most from our guests is IEP help. Like what I need help with IEPs, 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 Mm -hmm. because they are a beast and -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. So we're super excited to have our guests today.
3: We're so excited. And so our guests today are Vicki Brett and Amanda Salogi from the Inclusive Education Project. And let me tell you a little bit about Vicki. She grew up in Southern California and attended UC Riverside and received a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science before becoming a very active Whittier Law School student. And Vicki's committed to strengthening her clients who come to her disheartened and beaten down by the current education system. Wonder if anybody out there knows <laughs> that feeling. And because Vicki is bilingual, she has this ability to represent and empower so many monolingual Spanish-speaking families who are living in Southern California. And we're so excited that she's here.
4: Yeah. And also with her is Amanda Salogi, and Amanda received a degree in child and adolescent development, specializing in education from California State University, Northridge, and a Juris Doctorate from Whittier Law School. Amanda's career is so much more than practicing law, though. She uses her expertise as a tool to advocate for the differently abled community, and this is Vicky's passion and she established a nonprofit the Inclusive Education Project. Very good. So
3: yes, welcome you guys. We're so excited that you're here, Vicky and Amanda.
1: Thank you. I like it making Amanda like die of laughter cuz I said hola too, and I was just going to pretend like I was going to do the whole thing in Spanish and then um, I don't know she's why. losing her mind. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I apologize. Thank you. This happens when sometimes like we just say things to each other and we just Can't lose it. We are so happy to be here. Yeah, thank you guys for having
1: us. This is something for us that we know reaches a lot of different people and not just moms, but we feel your frustration. We have to say, you know, we are attorneys. We're not your attorneys yet. But...
4: (laughs) Right, no,
2: for me. Yeah. Yeah. I will and yeah. forgive yeah, forgive me. Like, don't take it wrong if I say I would rather avoid that because that means that things have gotten really oh. bad. Oh, oh no, <laughs> like
0: our like no, 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 our no. goal <sighs> in like our whole business and we just had like a retreat where we're like reformatting like our mission and like how we're moving forward because we have like so many opportunities that we're like ready with, and like one of our biggest things is like if our jobs cease to exist, we've done our job. And like, Hmm. that's what we want. That's good. It shouldn't exist. Our job shouldn't exist. It really
2: shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys are, you're amazing. I've listened to your podcast for a while now, for a couple of years and really appreciate what you guys do. You're so smart and we're really thankful to have you on, but tell our listeners what the inclusive education project is, what it is you guys do. Sure.
0: Sure. So we are a, we keep changing the way we describe it, but we're essentially a nonprofit that provides education, training, and pro bono legal advocacy for families across California. So we have our podcast, like you mentioned, that really just strives to change the conversation about education, disability rights, you know, and anything in that purview. And really just, we partner with like presentations and workshops for the community at large, parent groups, and organizations that work with this community to just get the word out there about not only what legal rights families do have and students have and what schools should be doing, but also kind of changing that conversation about the way that we look at children living with disabilities. Um, And I'm going to steal what you guys said, looking at assets over deficits. We really try to have a collaborative approach as much as we can to helping the IEP team do its best job. But there are circumstances where attorneys do need to get involved unfortunately. The system is not perfect yet. We hope one day it will be, but in the meantime, we do Offer a pro bono legal aid for low income families across Southern California.
3: So rad. I love it. Yes. Love it. And we would love to know a little bit of your story because you guys met each other in law school, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So kind of how did this come about? Where for both of you, where did your passion for inclusive education come from? That and did you have like personal connections to people in the differently abled community? What happened? This is Vicki. So uh, I went to law
1: school thinking that I was going to be Aaron Brokovich, like environmental law, like I'm just yeah. going to save the world in that way. Right. And I had met Amanda. We actually studied abroad together. So I was going to my third year and she was going into her second year and she was just this like go getter and was just like, oh, we should take a class together, join this clinic. She went to law school knowing she wanted to be in the area of special education. And I have a cousin on the spectrum. He's 25 now, Ken. He's actually been on our podcast and he's just amazing at everything. And so my personal connection, I grew up with him and didn't really know special education law even really existed. So when she told me about, you know, this class that we could take together, it was a special education clinic at Whittier Law School. I was like, sure, I can fit into my schedule. Let's do it. I ended up not even being in her class. They pulled me from the L A to the Orange County section because I spoke Spanish. So we didn't even get the class. No.
0: (laughs) But we stayed you know, I not a lot of people kind of go to law school envisioning they're going to do one area of law and then actually practice it and then enjoy it. I feel very lucky and fortunate that I did have that path. I've always worked with kids like growing up from running a summer camp to tutoring and babysitting and all across the spectrum of working with kids and when I was in college, I kind of changed my major a lot and it kind of just fell into my lap of like, oh, like working with kids, that's what I'm meant to do. Like I should be doing that. And I was on track to getting my credential to be a special education teacher. My aunt is a special ed teacher in LA Unified. And I got a job working as a paraprofessional at um, Chime Charter Elementary. Mm-hmm. It's in Woodland Hills, full inclusion. Yeah. And just had the benefit of being able to experience a full inclusion school that works so amazingly. And one of the first students I was paired with was a little boy in second grade living with Down syndrome, and I just fell in love. Just headfirst in love with this little boy. And it really changed my perspective a lot. I wanted so badly to work with these kids. And the school that I worked at, it's such a one in a million school I had to have everybody involved in a school that really understands full inclusion. Now being so involved in IEPs, I'm such a gift. I realized very quickly when I was working with a lot of the families that this is so rare. Mm. And that the families who were there, they fought very hard. And many of them had attorneys. And it came to kind of the back of my mind of I'm very outspoken. And I just felt like I would be someone who had to either quit or would get fired because I wouldn't just let red tape stop me. And I realized there's got to be like a better way. And Mm -hmm. I happened to in speaking with one of the families, I found out that, you know, they had gone through due process and they said, Oh, like, you should go to law school. And it was always one of those things. My mom worked for law firms my childhood. And I was always told I'm good at arguing, I should go to law school. And it was (laughs) I fought so hard. Like I was like, No, no, no. But then it made sense. And I went to Whittier and was able to do the clinic where I was able to do pro bono work there. And, it just kind of fell into my lap, but I couldn't be happier. And, and so then Vicki and I just, we met in law school and it was always something where we thought we need to do something along these lines together.
2: That's amazing. That's amazing.
0: Okay. So going to back to it, when you
4: mentioned about talking to your parents about the IEP, what are some of the most common problems you see in the special education system that you address with your clients?
1: I think one of the biggest things that we see is miscommunication. I think that when a parent has a definition of you know just what a special day class is or even a program and they bring it to the school and they feel like they're getting shut down or the school is they're on the same page but the school is not speaking in either literally the same language I have a Hmm. lot of Spanish speakers that a lot a lot gets lost in translation and there's cultural implications there that you know the other side the district may not really understand but I think that that is the biggest thing, you know, even with our English speaking clients, we are translating this language of IEP, like all we do is talk in acronyms, right? Mm -hmm. The Individualized Education Program, the IDEA, the Individuals Disability and Education Act, you know, and it's overwhelming just being a parent, period, Mm -hmm. and then to have a child that may have a different, like a learning difference, and then just trying to become an expert in that, and then trying to learn this new
0: language. Mm -hmm. I think that is at the root cause of so much. Yeah, that, and I think not clearly defining expectations. When we write these IEPs, and, and probably one of the best advice we can give to families is that make sure that the IEP is very clear Make sure that any I mean, it's supposed to be written to where anybody can pick it up and understand exactly what's supposed to happen. But oftentimes the notes are written so vaguely that the whole picture of the conversation is not documented, that, you know, it's discussed how a certain special day class is different from another or even just accommodations. You know, we often write, people write all accommodations as very vague. We don't classify when these accommodations are being provided, where they're being provided, who has the burden of providing them. Is it up to the student to ask for it or is it given automatically? And so, you know, we try to say that, you know, when we talk about kids having WH question goals, like that should be your mentality for your IEP. You need to ask who, what, where, why and when for every part of the IEP because oftentimes if it's not clear, one person's doing one thing, Mm -hmm. another person's doing something Mm -hmm. else and the parent thinks a third thing is happening. Mm -hmm. And then that even stifles the miscommunication even further that then people get upset because they thought one thing was happening and someone else thought something else. And then if we don't meet for a year, then it's like we've been doing it this way for a year and it's too
4: late.
2: Do you have some suggestions on, like, you so we make it crystal clear, which as I'm listening to you say it, you're saying that's the parent's job. Like, in my experience so far, and I used to teach special education, so I sat on the other side of IEPs, hundreds of them, and it seems like these details, the parent needs to care and implement those, otherwise it's not really going to happen. Does that sound about right in your guys' experience?
0: I mean, it's one of those things where it is the job of the school district and the IEP team to make sure that it is written correctly. But because we know that a big problem with IEP teams is that they just aren't educated on all the different facets of what the IDEA says they're supposed to do, you know, we try to get parents to be aware of these things that can be possible in their IEPs. It shouldn't be your job. But Mm -hmm. until the system as a whole operates in a way that allows every person that works for a school district to understand the components of the IEP truly, you know, it unfortunately is something where parents do have to speak up on some of these things. So the most that we can do right now is while we try to educate the school districts, as much as we can educate parents as well, that helps, right? So, you know, if, and a lot of times when school districts write things in the IEP, they think it's clear for them because the word that they're using, the term of art they're Mm -hmm. using is very clear to them, or maybe it's very clear to the whole district because it's written in some kind of policy or some manual, that's what that means. Mm -hmm. But if they don't explain it to the parents, And so that's where sometimes that loss in translation even happens with English is that, you know, the word program, what does that mean? Is that an intervention reading program like seeing stars or is it a program like a special day class? Mm. Even something as simple as that. And so, you know, parents, school district doesn't know if you have a different definition. Like we kind of need to all be making sure, checking each other, making sure everyone's on the same page when we use language.
2: Yeah, mm -hmm. which comes back to, like you said, communication is so huge with IEP teams. And so, okay, I have lots of questions here. friends. (laughs) So one thing that's been really frustrating for me in the past is I'll sit around a table, we'll come up with a great plan. Like there's people on my team I trust and love and I'm grateful for. And then it's those W questions, you know, like this is the accommodation, who, when, where, what, how. And then it's like, okay, we're going to meet again in four weeks. And in four weeks, no one's done the thing. So for example, a picture schedule for the morning and afternoon routines. And then it's like, okay, where's the picture schedule? You know, like time's gone by, who's doing this? And those things have been established. What do we do then to be Mm. proactive Mm. in a way that is beneficial?
1: So that's a really specific example in which it's like, okay, how quickly can this be done? It's not going to be done in four weeks. Like it's almost, you know, how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You just don't, make it it doesn't just appear right it's like you literally have to spell out okay well do we have bread peanut butter jelly do you go to the fridge to go get it i mean it seems so tedious and ridiculous and funny to us but it's almost with that example it's like okay this is what needs to be on the schedule and we need to have a printout that i can review you know if that's a monday meeting can you do it by Friday? Like it's these attainable goals because it seems simple, like, right. oh yeah, we'll get it done. And then in four weeks we'll tell you about, but it's like if we don't even know when that schedule right. was supposed to be approved by you, then you're gonna go to that meeting in four
0: weeks and they're gonna be like, Oh yeah, we didn't get it done. And it was right. like, wait, what? Yeah, it's about defining those expectations. And you know, I feel like we're often a broken record when we say there's a thing that should be done, and then there's what's actually done, right? Mm. So If you have on your IEP team, a program specialist or a coordinator, the role of that person is to make sure what are our follow-up steps and who's doing them. And they're supposed to be the ones following up. But oftentimes it's up to the parents or if they have an advocate or an attorney to be the accountability police. So like what I tell parents sometimes is, you know, when you're leaving that meeting, like when I go to an IEP meeting, my IEP meeting notes always has a bottom thing that says a follow-up and like, what are my tasks following up? What is the team doing? What am I doing? What is the parent doing? And from there, that's how I know like what should be done next. Like it's often helpful before you close out the meeting So just reinforce it, right? Just tell the team, hey, before we leave, I just want to remind everyone these are the items that we said are going to be our like to-do list. And then even as simple as like after the meeting, you go home, send an email out to your team and say, just want a reminder. Like, it's ridiculous that that's something that happens. But I mean, just like in real life, like, you know, we do this in our office, like we have a case management system where we have to set tasks, like remind people of things because- we're all human, like we do forget things. And I try to tell parents that all the time that sometimes things are just, they slip through the cracks and it's hard to not find it personal because you think, well, it should be a priority and it should be. But oftentimes if they have 30 students, things do get falling through the cracks. So as much as you can do to kind of be very formulaic about it, it oftentimes like it keeps it on people's radar that like like Vicki said, you set a deadline, it's gonna be drafted by Friday, I'm going to review it by Monday. It's being implemented.
2: Yeah. And then again, just to clarify, when you're talking modifications and accommodations specifically, like that idea of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you're saying, okay, this person is going to get the, the idea from this person. And this person's going to, like you're saying, write out every single specific task and who's going to do those things. Right.
0: Yeah. As feasible as possible. I think it's, you know then no one's questioning. It's like, you know, they say it's better for you to get in a car accident on a rural road than a heavily populated road because on a heavily populated road, everyone is thinking someone else has got this, but it's less likely to happen if mm. you're on a rural road because someone's like, I'm not going to, no one else is going to see this. Right. So, you know, if everyone is like, oh, someone else has got it, then no one's got it.
2: Hmm. Okay. I have more questions, but ladies. Well, have, I'll, I'll hop yeah.
3: in. Okay. So my son, Ace, is four. So I've been through just a few IEP meetings. And at the beginning, all of my like intent was just to get him into the inclusive setting. I wanted him in. And now I find myself in an actual classroom and starting to... You know have things that come up that I am not sure I all of a sudden I'm like oh maybe this should be an accommodation maybe I should be calling an IEP meeting and so it's things like right now we're potty training and it's easier for the classroom for the teachers if ACE is in a pull-up but I would rather him not being a pull-up I'd rather him keep practicing having you know the undies on so you know, this is one of those things where I'm going, okay, how do you know when this should be something I should bring into that IEP? Like, when does it become just like, stop being a conversation with the teacher where I'm just like, Hey, i prefer this. And when does it become, Hey, let's call a meeting. Let's talk about if we're supporting ACE the way he needs to be supported. I
1: think that it's always important to have it in an IEP meeting. The notes are part of that conversation, and it's for future use too, right? And having that open line of communication, especially if, you know, some of the teachers that we deal with are wanting to do so much, and then they just don't have the support. And so they'll say yes to you, and then, you know, you check in with them three months later, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, we weren't doing that. But if it was in an IEP, maybe you could have, you know, had a follow-up IEP. You could have had a communication book that, you know, is starting to initiate the back and forth between you and the teacher. You know, we're attorneys and so everything that's written, we prefer, you know, follow up that conversation with the teacher with an email because at a certain time, you know, them saying like, oh, I don't remember us having that conversation. Oh, well, do you remember this email that I sent? You know, and like, you know, just as a form of just that check in. Right. Right,
0: And also like a lot of times teachers mean well and they want to do as much as possible, but they have limitations. And if you open it up to the IEP team, you have the ability to have the conversation about how else can we do this, right? Yeah. Is there other supports the district has as a resource that can be supporting this teacher? So it doesn't just leave it up to just the teacher. But I mean, a very technical answer is just like what Vicki said. Anything in writing is going to be better. Anything that is something that is given or done for your child that isn't given or done for everybody else in the class should be in the IEP Mm, because that is considered special education, right? So if everyone else in the class is potty trained and your child is the only one having a a set like potty training routine, then that Mm. should be in the accommodations page. But the other thing that I just want to mention, and because like what you're saying is something that we get a lot by parents, the idea of It's easier for the team to do it one way, or I don't want to be difficult. This perception that I think a lot of parents and especially moms place on themselves that, you know, they don't want to be that burden. They want to make things easy. But Special education was designed and, you know, these IEPs were created under the law specifically to help your child. So it's not a burden. It's not necessarily about what's easy because it may be a little bit more difficult for a short time, but the long-term gain is better for everybody. So yes, having that pull up right now is very easy in this moment, but think about if you could get him potty trained quicker, the long term of the rest of his educational career is just going to be better. So, you know, we try to instill in like in families that, you know, don't be afraid to at least ask, have a conversation. There's nothing going to be wrong about having that conversation. Even if you ultimately decide, look, we're going to keep it going with this path right away and maybe we're going to talk about it again later, it at least opens that door so that everyone's on the same page that this is something that, you know, your intention is to have your child be more independent and that's good for the team to know even just what you're thinking about
3: it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I think we should, this is probably something we should cross stitch like on a pillow. If it's something that's happening yes. different for your child in the classroom, it should be in the IEP. I think that's so good. I think I should change the wording before we do the pillow. We got to get it right.
2: What was your wording that you said? I was going to have you repeat that phrase because it was so good.
3: Okay. Oh, if it's, Different for your child than for the rest of the students in the classroom. It should be in the IEP.
2: Wow. That's profound.
3: That's what they said, right? No, I was, who, yes, no, that's you said what, that? That's what she said. It was good. Yes. In a scarf. Okay. A or just scarf. tattooed. We'll just a like. A tattoo. That's if, way better. Yeah. Let's do that. That's way better. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to do this side of my Arms up, waistline. Yeah. <laughs> and then.
2: And then wear just a crop top because it's going to be on your side. To the IEP. Perfect. This is
3: just going down a hill.
2: I was going to jokingly say, how many meetings, and a little serious, how many meetings is too many meetings in a year? Where is it like, because there are are years where I'm like, seriously, the last thing I want to do is have another IEP meeting and we have to get the team together to talk about this and put it in the IEP. It's so many meetings.
4: Can I tag on my question to that? Okay. So many meetings because... Also, how much time do you give them to get everything in place? Because we keep saying four weeks, but and I did the math, that's twenty days. So twenty days of not them of our child right. going to school without having the proper things in place to make them successful, I just think that's an issue. So yes, yeah. so that would mean another meeting like you're saying, Heather, to make all these meetings happen and make like these timeframes. And then you're like at the end of the year and you got to train a whole new teacher. Right. I just think that's exhausting. I want quick fixes because that's how it makes our kids more successful in the classroom. I don't like that there's so much time in between, but that's just me.
2: I'm a so, millennial. It is problematic. <laughs> and there are some things <laughs> in now? the law. Yeah. So tell us, ladies. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: So, I mean, a parent can request your per the law, you have an annual IEP. And so then that's just whenever your child kind of got their IEP, you know, if it was in January of that year, then you're going to have it essentially January every year from then on. But a parent can request an IEP meeting and the school district has 30 days to have that IEP meeting with you. So I think that that's kind of like maybe where the four weeks and that was just like the example that Heather had kind of painted for us where in that particular IEP, they had said, okay, well, let's get together in four weeks. As soon as you sign consent To whatever it is and change in service, change in accommodation, change in modification, it should be implemented as quickly as possible. And Mm -hmm. so you want to give a little bit of grace. Now, is a day or two for the teacher to do a visual schedule, is that reasonable? I think that's reasonable. Is four weeks reasonable? No, No, absolutely not. But, you know, if they didn't get to it that week, but the teacher's been communicating with you and he's saying, you know what, I was supposed to get this to you by Wednesday. Can I get it to you by Friday? You know, that's that kind of collaborative and grace that sometimes we have to remind our clients is that your child is important, but they may have more than
0: your child
1: (laughs) with an IEP in their class.
0: So I don't think that there is a set number that's too many IEPs, I think it's very circumstantial. I've had a number of students that I have brought them from a full special education, SDC, fully contained class to a general education class within a year. I had another student that we took two years, another student we took three years. The students where I've done this successfully, it's been a gradual process. Obviously, we would love for a child right at the bat of preschool being fully included. But the reality is that often doesn't happen. And so families come to us and they say, we want to put our child in full gen ed. And they're already in the SEC full time. So sometimes it becomes this like gradual. So if your intention is to do a gradual transition to a gen ed class, usually my strategy for that is I have IEPs every like two months for that mm. of that year. But like, it's a plan that's very, we put it together like ahead of time. Um, It's very intentional. So it may be something where we hold the IEP at the beginning of the school year, and we set our expectations for the next two months. And we build a communication system within the IEP. And again, it should be written in the IEP that there's a communication system. Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it Every other week, is it emails? Is it a log that actually goes in the child's backpack? What is it, right? You're very clear about what that communication system is. And so the idea is that in the course, maybe we're placing the child for an hour in the gen ed class. And we're placing the expectations on the special ed and gen ed teachers to collaborate on creating the modifications and as necessary, right? And we're providing information to the parent about how it's going through the communication system. And our goal is that over the course of the next two months, we're going to take data and be very clear about what data you're taking. Are you taking it on task initiation, task completion, maladaptive behaviors, whatnot, right? And the idea is that data can come home. And in two months, we're gonna have another meeting. And at that first meeting, we're setting a date for the next meeting, right? So we're being very intentional about how we're planning that process. So every step of the way, there may be something that comes up, but you're not waiting to find out what's happening, right? Cause you're getting that communication system home on a regular basis and you know exactly what to expect. And at that next meeting, You then can review, well, what happened in those last two months? Did we meet the expectations that we placed? Did we not? Do we need to modify? And sometimes you have to tweak things. Sometimes you go in and you say, you know, the kid is in there for math and it's working very well, but during science, it's not working as well or vice versa. And maybe we need to put an aid in for ELA, but not for science because it's hands-on. And that's just something where you can like really maneuver it around and massage the IEP as necessary at that time. And, you know, like I said, I've had situations where we do that same like for two month period, we do that, every two months over the course of the year. But that's because we're being very intentional about what we're doing. We're trying to increase that gen ed time. If it's something where we're trying to read an intervention program, that that reading intervention program can send home reports on a weekly basis to the parent, maybe we don't need a check-in in two months unless something comes up. Maybe we can say we're going to meet in four months. So. You know, I always say like err on the side of caution. Like if you're concerned about something, don't let it wait. They do have 30 days to schedule that meeting. But as soon as you have a concern, let them know in writing, this is my concern. I'd like to talk about it in an IEP. Some IEP teams can surprise you and say, Hey, we're seeing the same thing. We actually think we need to put in this accommodation. Let's just do a non-meeting IEP and give you an addendum. We can make changes without meeting. So there's a lot that can be done. And it's like, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, yes, like if you had an IEP meeting every three weeks for an entire school year, that might be too much. But if the child is having severe behaviors and needs to be placed in a different setting, then maybe it isn't too much because maybe it's a safety issue.
4: Mm.
2: I'm feeling stressed. <laughs> <laughs> this
3: is, it's just, it's such good information. And I want to add this Just to our listeners, we obviously don't have enough time to go into, there's so much we could go into. And you guys, this is the amazing thing about the Inclusive Education Project because they have their own podcast and they have gone deep into so many things. And we just encourage all our listeners to find them and download episodes, learn your stuff. Okay.
2: So we probably should only ask a couple more questions, but let's do this. So talk to real briefly, you're setting up, you're getting ready for an IEP. There's three categories I'm going to give you. So it's someone going into preschool, right? Our three-year-old kiddos who are going into preschool. Talk to that mom, like top three things, three to five, five max with our, in our time frame that you need to make sure are taking place in your IEPs in that initial meeting. And then talk to the moms who are transitioning from like elementary to junior high. Talk to the moms who are then getting ready to leave high school whoa.
3: I love this. I've got my pen out. I'm going to start taking notes. (laughs) Is that too
2: much?
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I think so. You're asking the top three things to tell for each of those transition periods.
2: Like in terms of an IEP, these things need to be in your IEP or when you're meeting with your team, this is what you need to make sure you're bringing to the table in those different scenarios. And maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And I think, you know, one of the things about our kiddos is that they change day to day, minute to minute. So at the very beginning, I think you set that intention of we're doing this gen ed thing. Oftentimes, we love getting the kiddos and the parents that are, you know, just at the beginning of their journey, because knowledge is power to a certain extent. And Oftentimes they will go to this first IEP and they're gonna say, your child needs all this support and guess what? We have a special day class and they're just gonna get it and we're just, it's gonna be great and you're gonna get everything that you want. Oftentimes that's the fast track to being in special education forever, right? Mm -hmm. At least throughout your educational career. And although the thought process behind it is like, yes, this child needs to have these supports and services, oftentimes that's not what actually happens. So it's one of those things where when you're going to that IEP, be very, you know, if you want to try it out, that's totally fine, but have an exit strategy. That's not really like a top three, but I think that that's a general kind of That's the main thing that you should focus on when you have that kiddo, because if the goal is general education kindergarten, what are you doing? Even if I have to go into this special day class, what am I doing? Can that just be for this first year? Can we get a little bit, you know, is there a general ed class that they can be mainstreamed into for, you know, circle time? Like, don't just give up completely that mainstreaming opportunity because other kids learn from each other. And, you know, typical what is typical, but the neurotypical kiddos, you would like your child to be there because they're modeling and you want them to life is not segregated into special day classes workstations and general education workstations. So that is a big thing that runs through all of those transitions, but most important for our three to five kiddos. Yeah.
0: And I think with all three of those transitions, the thing about transitions is you're almost starting over. You're almost starting with something new in the sense that usually what is available in preschool is different from what's available in kindergarten and first through fifth which is different than middle school, which is different than high school. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that you understand the different placement options, I think is very important. Now, the IEP teams are gonna, a lot of times like when parents ask like, well, I wanna know what are the different program options in your elementary school? A lot of IEP teams will say, whoa, 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 let's back up. We Mm -hmm. need to start with the goals because goals drive services and services drive placement, however. I think it's very important to be aware of these settings to begin with. And the reason for that is even though we are drafting goals first, we can draft goals with the expectation in mind of the placement that you're thinking would be appropriate for your child. So if you're thinking that your child should be fully included, which – You know, we very much come from this perspective as the majority of students should be fully included, that what is that we're looking for? How can we make sure that that child is setting up to be successful in gen ed? Well, if we know what the standards are in that gen ed class and we know what's expected of them in that gen ed class, we can then figure out what skill areas, what skill sets does this child have not yet mastered that it's expected? And those should be the goals area that we focus on because then we're saying, look, we know the child might need more support in following directions, might need more support with communication, and then we're going to have goals and services derived to fit it. But then when we get to the prospect of placement, it's very easy to say, well, this can be implemented in a gen ed class because here are the supports that are either already available or are possible, right? Mm. And aid can be placed in a gen ed class during certain circumstances to support. So it just gives you an idea. Cause I think a lot of times families can't picture a classroom Mm. or can't picture a program, right? Because they're not really given information. So Mm. when we're going down this route of, okay, we've gone through these goals. Are you comfortable with them? Well, How could you possibly be comfortable with them? If you don't, you can't even visualize how they're being implemented and where, I think it gives you a good picture of like where to start, because that is going to be where everything's going to happen is which program, you know, are you going to end up?
2: So then would you suggest those parents that they should observe the programs? Like you're saying, absolutely. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah, and especially for our kiddos that are transitioning. So a lot of schools, districts don't have gen ed preschools. So what you might be able to observe in that preschool age, it may only be a special day class. Mm -hmm. However, you can go to your local preschools, go find one that's accredited or, you know, is licensed by the state, right? And you can go and you can observe that as well. And you can compare and contrast. Because then when you come and you have the IEP team saying, well, we're not sure if your child can be in gen ed because we expect them to be able to do X, Y, and Z. You can say, well, I've actually seen other preschools and like typical kids have trouble with these things too. We can support them in this environment. I think it gives a better picture. And then certainly like when we get into the upper grades, so higher elementary school, middle school, high school, there's so many different types of classes that It's you can't just look at a list of attributes of a class and know exactly what they mean. I think you really like seeing it is really helpful and I think oftentimes schools only do automatic observations when it's high school because it's like they do the like you know you live in this area so you're going to go to this high school this is your home school so you know orientation take a tour type of thing when they're in their like you know eighth grade year but you can do it as, as early as the beginning of your eighth grade year or fifth grade you know at the beginning of the fifth grade year because If we're having an expectation that in the transition year, we want something to be different, we need to set this child up for success to be able to be successful in that different setting, right? So if we know that for middle school, we want them to be in gen ed or want them to be in an RSP program, then the fifth grade year is the year that the beginning we can set those expectations. These are the skill sets that we want them to master before they start middle school. Let's work on it now. Don't wait until the end of the school year.
2: So okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I won't. We're in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, do it. We're, fifth, we're working so hard. Just kidding.
1: Oh, my goodness. No. Thank you so much like for having us on. And I mean, we can, there's just so many different things that, you know, just apply to your child or just apply to the kid with dyslexia. And, you know, for us wanting to have the inclusive education project as a nonprofit, as a 501c3 is a softer kind of punch than just being like, we're special education attorneys. Like, I think that being able to have that knowledge and that expertise is really colored by the different experiences that our kiddos go through. Yeah. Because what will work for one kiddo with Down syndrome sure as hell won't work for another kid with Down syndrome. Right. Just you know, and Heather just like the teacher getting to know your child, right? Mm-hmm. And the nuances, and you know, they'll eventually get to you know. It's allowing that grace. I think not everybody has that patience but just that teacher is even willing to try or maybe you forced her to try whatever but <laughs> you don't know yeah either, either way, way it's like we're here so let's give it our best shot right. and
0: i think what like you guys really you know portray your audience is like you know to other moms you guys aren't alone the same thing applies for like iep help i'm just gonna do a little plug and yes. we have a Group. It is a closed group, but as long as you say, like, you know, you have a connection to this community, we let you in. But it's an open forum for parents and educators. We have a number of educators on there to talk about concerns that they have with IEP. So, just a lot of the questions that you guys are bringing up today. And I know that it, like, it does seem stressful, like going through these issues, but, you know, you can go to an attorney, and attorney is going to give you a very attorney answer. But you know, like Vicki said, what works for one kid may not work for another. And the same with school districts and schools. So we really encourage parents to like join this Facebook group. It's not about us giving advice to people in the Facebook group. It's about you guys giving advice to each other, or even just saying, I'm having a problem with this What do you guys do when you have this problem? Mm -hmm. And other people can give feedback. And like I said, there's some administrators and some educators in there that sometimes can give feedback on, you know, here's something from our perspective, what might be helpful. So like, that's a good forum that we think is available to our listeners and hopefully your listeners as well. If you want to join that community.
2: I love that. Yeah. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us about that forum, how people can get there. Tell us about your project. Tell us about your podcast, which us three ladies are going to be on an episode. Yeah. Um, Turning the tables. Tell our so listeners our, everything our they website, need to
1: know. Yeah. Our website is inclusiveeducationproject.org. So easy peasy. And the Facebook group is just the inclusive education project. Podcast. If you notice the acronym, it's IEP. You see what we did there? Oh, that
3: is rich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And our Instagram handle is Inclusive Education Project as well. And so, like, you can get access to. And we have a regular like page on Facebook as Mm -hmm. well. And you can get to the podcast group through that as well. It's all our name, basically. We're really creative with it.
1: (laughs) And yeah, our podcast. You can listen to it on pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So obviously through the Apple podcast app, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're now on Spotify. I think iHeartRadio radio now, but you should be able to find us. So give us a listen. If you like what you heard today. <laughs>
3: awesome. <laughs>